0: So, we are now recording, and uh, this is the Revelation, or actually this is not the Revelation class, this is the Letters of Jesus, uh, which is the first three chapters of the Revelation. And uh, last week's is now up online and available for your listening pleasure and or torture. Um, This one will be available approximately by 5 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, probably earlier than that, but not before tomorrow afternoon sometime because that's when I'll get the thumb drive to them. And then, Lord willing, the recording will be a bit easier after this. Um, So, let's see, what are the announcements? Got the recording part done. Skunks are out there, be careful when you leave. Um, And, oh yes, who was not here last week? Okay so i have handouts well i I did send them so if you've got them i won't does it then i'll just ask this does anybody need a hard copy of the study guide for tonight for what we're studying tonight because i've got some okay i will give you the others later and anybody who comments on where the staple is on you. How's that? Yes, for some reason, top left does not mean top left in computer language, apparently. So, uh, and upside down, because it's on the bottom. But, um, so I'm sending around the sign in. Um, if you weren't here last week, then the same as for other classes. If you're already getting, the study guides, if you got them last week, you do not need to give me an email. Please do sign in, but don't, don't need to give me an email unless you want a different email than the one I used last week. So always feel free to use that to change the email. If you put an email in, I'll automatically check it against my list and see. And I've got two going to you again, one of which is still kicking back to me all the time. Um, uh, it's the H-I-U one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, actually, I corrected that and sent it again, and it kicked back two. So I'm not going to go with every possible spelling, <laughs> but I'll put it this way. It had gone to you before, because I didn't change it in my Outlook. But the other one is getting to you, right? Yeah. Okay. I just forwarded There you go. When in doubt, forward to yourself, note to self, forward to yourself, that works, right? Okay, Uh, I'm pretty sure that's all we needed for the housekeeping kinds of things, so let's pray together, and then we'll get into the Word. Father, thank you for giving us this day. Thank you, Lord, for outside in the rain when nobody expected that, and uh, just, giving us a little freshness and uh, reminding us that we're not in control. That's a good thing, Lord, and we're grateful for that. Lord, as we're looking into this, this part of your word, it can be pretty confusing to us. Help us to remember, to understand, and as we read, especially tonight, the letter to the Ephesians, to be able to understand what you said to them and how that might also apply to us. Because, Lord, above all else, we want to be faithful to you. So when we walk out of here, Lord, let us be more capable of being faithful. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, So as with pretty much every class, we're going to start with this. And I'm going to say once again, I I'm saying two or three times again. The study guides I'm giving to you because this class is not an entry class and every one of you has been in one of my classes before. So um, if you want to get most out of this class, you need to do the study guide. I grant you cannot always do that. You won't always have the time, although I do give it to you a week in advance so you should have time to do some. At least read the passage look at the words, and this time I actually changed question three. So question three now reads, and you'll notice the the space I give you on the study guides that I'm going to give you tonight, you'll notice that's more. Always feel free to use other paper or electronic devices for more information. But question three says, go back and look at each word in number two, which is this, these words, and note why each might have been singled out to be investigated. So what I'm trying to do now, honestly, is get you thinking about the text in such a way that you're asking yourself uh, in the first place, okay, so why did he say look that word up? What's what's with that word? That I would look it up, okay? And there's a lot of different kinds of reasons. Let me give you some generalities. Sometimes it's just for fun. It happens. Um, it's not it's not out of the blue. It's because it relates to something we all know. And once you realize, oh, that's where we get that, it does help you understand the word more. Sometimes it's because the word that's used in the translation simply doesn't give us the depth of meaning that a person who spoke that language would get hearing the word. And that's what we're trying to do is hear the word or understand the word the way the readers would have heard it when they first read this so that we get what they got, okay? Another uh, is that it might be a word that is very important, generally, to understanding themes in the New Testament, or even basic doctrines in Christianity. And you will find there's about half a dozen or so that frequently, not always, but frequently, I'm going to put out there. And part of that is, okay, so how does that fit in this context? And part of that is, why is that even so important? Because there's some words where if you don't understand that word, you're not going to understand literally half of the New Testament. And if you do understand that word, you just took a giant leap in terms of understanding our faith and being able to explain that to other people. Whether it be kids, friends, family members, People challenging you it's stupid the Bible should say that and you're going well it would be a lot less stupid if you actually knew what it meant and then you have the opportunity ever so gently humbly to explain that okay yeah you want to remember the humbly part um, I will never put a word in there to occupy paper space I will never put a word in there because there's a certain number of words I'm trying to put in there is not Unless you're in my small group, in which case, I believe Bob limits it. It's got to be at least six. Is that right? Yeah. So sometimes I just put words in for Bob Hill and just the rest of us can just go on with life. So now number four, the question then says, now choose one of the words that you looked up and write how understanding the meaning and background of that word helped better help you understand the passage. So that's what was normally question number three. When we get to this class, by the time you're here, you should have that. So when I say, okay, you know, were there any of these words? Did anybody look that up? Whatever. You should already have done that because that's one of the basic parts of the study. By singling these words out, I'm basically telling you those are important. You're going to understand things better if you do that. So if you skip that, you're you're basically saying, then I'm not really that interested. I don't want to understand it better. And that might be uh, a a bad thing to do. Um, You're going to get more and more questions, uh, both this week's and last week's study guides were three, not two pages, although barely three. So it's not like I'm going like all bore three, but um, I'm doing that because this class should be a bit different than just doing the study guide for the sermon. That's something literally high school kids are doing. And every one of you is is capable of functioning much higher than that and that's our goal is to to be in the word to the best that we can be. With all of that in mind, um, questions and what we've covered before is always fair game. If you're wrestling with something or there's something you just you didn't quite pick up from previous uh, week's study. So it's automatically from the Revelation 1-1 to whatever we're doing which means today 2.7. Any questions over those? Any words that you couldn't find the meaning to uh, or couldn't figure out why in the world do you care? Or, uh, or for that matter questions that you thought should have been on a study guide and weren't that you'd like to put up. Pardon? What is Ephesus? Okay. So, Ephesus. By the way, how do I know that's how it's pronounced? Well, we do. But we only know that's how it's pronounced today. Because that area still is called or referred to as Ephesus because they know where it is. So that doesn't mean that's how it was pronounced 2000 years ago, so we're just going to go with today. Okay. I, I answered question number seven. What do the terms seven stars and seven golden mm-hmm. lamps But I, I'm not sure I have the right answer. Okay. I have okay. the same exact question. I think I get the and from the stars. Other than what the picture says they are. Well, uh, that I would not assume, so we'll get that first. And then we'll take another step and try to figure out so then, particularly the stars. With number five, what, who is the angel we Okay, so now we're at the stars, see? Okay. okay. Any others? Yes, sir. Number 14. And what is that? Okay, I'll just put American application. Now, by the way, I say American because most of us, our our experience is here, you know. Um, if you have more experience worldwide, I'm certainly not suggesting that only America counts. I'm simply suggesting we may not be competent to describe the application of that, for example, in Thailand, because the church in Thailand may not be exactly where the church in America is. that make sense? All right. Any others? Yes. I need to know who the are. All oh, those guys. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really look good for them, does it? Or anybody else that might be aligning with them, which is kind of the point there. Okay? Any others? Good questions. All right, then. Let's start off with, uh, before we even dive into the text, because very quickly, well, let's dive into the text. I'll read one sentence, and then we'll go to a couple of the questions. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, all right? So let's start with the the broader question, because it's listed first. What did you find out about Ephesus? And by the way, where did you find it? Share, share your resources with each other, because that might be useful. What do we know about Ephesus? Okay. Okay. So the Roman province of Asia, actually, the, Asia is what it would be called. That's kind of like saying America. Is this country America? No. No. It is the United States of America. So that's the Asia Minor version. The, the, t- the actual name of the Roman province was Asia Minor. However, as often as not, and maybe even more often, it referred to it just simply as Asia. Um, it, was, it was called Asia Minor because they did recognize that there was quite a bit to the east. Um, they, they didn't know quite how much, and we don't know how much they knew. There is a tradition that the Western world didn't really understand uh, China or Cathay until um, Mr. Polo. Um, That is nonsense. Absolutely, people knew that it was there um, because there was links to different tribes that were warring with each other all the way back there. Uh, They just didn't know much about it. Because there was no easy travel, and if you did travel there, odds were pretty good you're going to be dead before you got there, because uh, they were very territorial. All these different regions. So Asia was all of that. Okay, Ephesus was uh, kind of a capital. Um, So aside from the political part, what do we know? It was a big harbor. Okay. So there was a lot of trade and travel. All right, a lot of trade. And, and the travel, when there's a lot of travel, what happens? Mixes. Lots of different people from different places, which means different traditions blend or collide. And that happened too. Even in the Book of Acts, we see one of the collisions. So what else do we know about Ephesus? They were fascinated with magic and the occult. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, by the way, even looking at America's history, is also very often correlated with the travel, because people from other places come, and they have different beliefs, things that might be commonplace there, and they're new and fascinating there at Ephesus. So, what else? Um, It boasted the uh, the Temple of Artemis. Yes. And that was one of the (coughs) seven wonders of the ancient world. So, the Temple of Artemis, Mm -hmm. who was, of course, one of the Greek pantheon, um, was located in Ephesus. That also was related to another thing we know about Ephesus. Did anybody get anything about occupations? I got silversmith. There was a silversmith like um, guild. Guild is a good word. Yeah. There's actually uh, a lot of different guilds because the bigger the temple and the more the temples, the more little statues or idols, Somebody has to make those. And since it is very valuable, both uh, in terms of what you make it out of and also for the religious value, that somebody typically makes a lot of money out of it. So you have guilds because they're going to manage that. They're not going to let that just you know, be freewheeling and take away their own business. And one of the things that we see in the book of Acts is um, the, the spread of the faith kind of cutting into that. And ticking them off, because yeah, what happens if fewer people worship idols? Fewer people buy idols, fewer people buy idols. <laughs> and now you just hit me in the wallet, and so I'm going to hit you across your throat. And that's what happened. So yeah, that was that's a big deal there. What else do we know about Ephesus? Paul spent a long time there okay. for Paul, it was like two and a half years. Yeah, and actually in more than once. Yeah. Uh, he spent two different periods of. His yeah. Ministry so it, it is very closely tied to the Apostle Paul. That's where the church was founded. And um, then on his way back to Jerusalem on his final trip, Paul stopped off there again and uh, met everybody again, did a lot of teaching there. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of his influence. Um, it is believed that Timothy, was there when Paul was writing to him. Um, So the whole Pauline influence is very, very strong. Now, along those lines, who else might Ephesus be connected with? That was a hint. Uh, somewhat, actually, but that's not who I was hinting at. Okay. They're actually two of my favorite people in the New Testament. Okay. But they're not in this passage, so... I... Well, I wasn't right, I wasn't right. That's right, you're just right in there adding extra information, which is always good. Okay. This is the place where John lived, initially in exile. I don't know if you could still call it exile, 20-30 years later when his own Country doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I think by that time he's actually immigrated. <laughs> but uh, the Apostle John, now, when he wrote this, he's not in Ephesus because he's in real exile, actually uh, almost in imprisonment on Patmos. But before that, John had his, for want of a better term, headquarters in Ephesus he tended to be connected then with the church now this is 30 years after Paul so by the time he got there the church had already developed a very strong reputation um, and some other habits as will come out in just a moment so um, and one of the reasons that happened by the way is that it was also known for a very very strong synagogue so there was a very strong Jewish presence in Ephesus. He wanted to cite us to cite a lot of all the information that came out was, I'm just looking at the commentary, it was from Ellicott's. Where? Ellicott's. Okay. Okay. Ellicott's, and was that online? Well, it's talked in Acts. Yeah. Um, one of the things you're going to see, and that doesn't mean they're bad, but one of the things you're going to see is like Ellicott's is not one that most people will think of today, for the simple reason that it's way old. Which is why it's there, because it's no longer under copyright. So when you're using almost any of the free um, online sources, you're going to find things like that. And that's fine. Just understand, if you try to go buy them in a bookstore, you're not likely to see them for most of them. Because the reason you're getting them is it's free. It's, free. It's, out of the public, uh, it's in the public domain out of copyright. Ellicott's. E L L I C O T T. Okay. And any other, what other resources were you using? That, excuse me a second. That was at a Bible Hub, by the way. Okay. That's the, the um, yeah. website through with. Now what? This Bible um, has like a to every chapter. Okay. So you've got a study Bible. God, like, yeah. yeah. So it gives you the information. Yeah. Any Bible that says study Bible basically is giving you the text, but it's also giving you some extra notes. Uh, Which one is that? This is the uh, ESV study Bible. Okay. ESV, English Standard Version. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't know a lot about that one, personally. There's some of these that are excellent scholarship. There's some of these that are garbage. Uh, Most of them are fine. Yeah, no, not the text, the study Bible part. Mm -hmm. I don't know who wrote the study Bible Mm -hmm. section. The NIV study Bible, by and large, is, is... Pretty good. An uh, ASB study Bible typically is going to be pretty good, although you'll actually find different NIV and NASB study Bibles, because what they do is they simply have different authors kind of approach it from different perspectives, throw their stuff in, and then they market it as a different one. Okay. All right. And that's that's probably NIV. Yes. Yeah. Standard Bible. Oh, okay. NASB. Okay. So the life application with NASB. Well, Any others? about the temple and the, so, the guild and stuff, that's just an Okay. I mean, yeah. an Excellent point. A Bible, a stuff, I mean, a yeah. The Bible. stuff that I talked about with, with Paul, with the, all the Jews there. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you simply want to go to a concordance yeah. and look up and see what else do you see from the New Testament itself or in some cases the Old Testament sometimes like in the next question that will just add confusion on confusion <laughs> but hey that's okay okay any other resources that you're using that you want to share with each other I used Bible dictionary as well. which one uh, I think it's Ungers. Ungers Ungers is actually more of an encyclopedia mm-hmm. when you say Bible dictionary it's interesting because a lot of the Bible dictionaries are not dictionaries they're encyclopedias which is excellent. They can be very useful, but it would be nice if they actually called them that. Um, so when you're when you're going to buy a, a, a dictionary, you might want to look it up. If it's just nothing but words and definitions, hmm. you know, I mean we're used to dictionaries, right? That's a dictionary. But this has it's kind of a mini encyclopedia. It has articles. Uh, I believe Ungers even has media, um, maps, and the maps, the media there, does sure. it? Okay. It does have maps and yeah. Records has some other things with it that just give you a better sense of. And you can find photos of Ephesus. Now they're the ruins of Ephesus, because all of the photographs that were taken during John's time and Paul's time, for some reason, have been lost. Don't understand why. Okay. I like Barclay's commentaries, but only for the historical. I don't like his interpretation. Style. Yeah, and... So, but his historical stuff is very good. Mostly. Mostly, Um, Barclay's Barclays, Barclay, yeah, William Barclay, an Anglican priest, wrote in the late 19th, earlier 20th century. Um, I think it's mostly 20th century, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, There, the the late 19th century in England and in Germany, there was an explosion of New Testament um, scholarship, and a lot of the resources that we're looking at came out of that. A lot of the big ones that we look at for the words, uh, the the concordances, Strong's itself, all out of that time. Barclay kind of rode the wave of that. Barclay was very much um, biblically a liberal. Uh, denied, for example, most uh, um, miracles, anything that was miraculous. Um, and so when he when he gives things, he's giving them with a very specific bias, and you want to be very careful, everybody's got one. It's just helpful to know what it is. His scholarship was average. wasn't bad, but by no means was he, for example, with historical things, one of the better ones. Um, so where do you go for the better ones? Unfortunately, they usually cost you a little. Um, today, there's a set called the um, Bible Background Commentary. Um, it's very good, but it's also, it, it, it's a little spotty. It's put out by InterVarsity Press, and I would, I would endorse, um, with qualifications, everything IVP puts out. And I say qualifications because IVP believes in giving you the biblical uh, facts and then letting you decide where you go from there. So, for example, there's a whole series of books, three views of this, four views of this, and they're all biblically based arguments for different perspectives on an issue so i mean they're contradicting each other and yet it's all from scripture so it is just it's not about so much what the scripture says but about where you go after that and um they're just very high in scholarship Um, i said they're a little spotty and the reason is that they're they're fairly recent and they're trying not to simply repeat what's been around for 200 years so they have a tendency sometimes and if you looked at this they would give you a a a paragraph on Ephesus that summarized a lot of this but there's a lot more you could get in other places which is exactly why they don't give it to you because it's a much more recent work and they know you can get all of that somewhere else so they let you do that and they give you stuff that isn't necessarily everywhere else. Um, There's a set of commentaries um, called the NICNIT, New International Commentary of the New Testament. There's actually two or three different um, phases of them over the years. They've they've literally republished new authors republishing the works uh, to be updated, even though not a lot's changed. Um, But they do tend to be pretty good in giving a fair amount of background information. And then there's, there's just things like Ungers or other Bible encyclopedias. And that's something that they, are, that they excel at, because that's the whole reason for them being written, is to give the background information on things like this. OK? Um, now, by the way, you can always Google. See? And one of the things you've got to watch is that when you Google Ephesus, you're going to get everything from way ancient stuff to things written about that area today to clubs that call themselves Ephesus. I mean, you're going to get like five million hits. Um, if you say, you know, ancient Ephesus or the biblical Ephesus or something like that, it's going to narrow it. But if you look at the top, I'd say 20 or 30 of almost any of those, I guarantee you're going to find cults That have sites and have input on it, so you're going to want to be careful. Look at where did this come from? Who are these people? Um, Always do that, okay? And if you don't know, if there's one that looks pretty good and you've never seen it, bring it in here. I may have run into it before. If I haven't, I'll try to do some research because I'm always wanting to know. Because you're not the only one that's going to come ask me that. I'll guarantee you. All right, now we also read the word angel. And question five was, what exactly does he mean? What did you get? That uh, messenger, person sent by God to preside over the church. Uh, he should be answering questions and stuff with the church. And uh, 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 where's the rest of it? I don't know. Our bishop at this time was most probably Timothy. Okay. One. Now, where did you get that? What, what was the source? What? Bible Hub. Okay. This is a great example of why you need to know who's actually writing it. The bishop at that time was probably Timothy. Does anybody know what's wrong with that statement? We don't know. They don't know. Well, number one, yeah, he might have been. I mean he was a younger man in the in the sixties when Paul wrote. We don't know when Timothy died. But there's a, there's another reason that's quite conclusive that frankly says no. But and you all know the reason because I've talked to you about it before. The bishop. What's a bishop? What? Overseer. Comes from the Greek word episcopos, which means overseer. <laughs> Ta da! Okay, literally, overseer, epi, scopos, scope, see, si, right? Or from the Latin supervision. Um, a supervisor who were the overseers and supervisors in the church in the New Testament yeah. nope nope the Apostles appointed them when the church started and then moved on and then if they ran into trouble would write a letter saying well here's the cri- the criteria here are the qualifications they were elders so there's an office in the New Testament, elder, which had to do with age and maturity. Okay? Then there's supervisor or overseer, which is the Greek word episkopos. And believe it or not, bishop is an anglicized version of episkopos. I actually had a classics uh, scholar show me how that worked once. It was really fascinating because it took several. But I mean, remember, these things happen over hundreds of years. But the word bishop actually came from the word episkopos, Um, and it just means overseer. And then the third word is the Greek puimene, and it means a pasturer. What is a pasturer? Yes, it's as obvious as what it sounds. A shepherd. A shepherd takes the sheep to the pasture, right? Those three were identical in the New Testament. They referred to the same person and they were always, as you just said, plural. There was no such thing as the bishop of anything anywhere. That is, later theology read back, it's an anachronism. So whoever writes that has bought into the theology because generally most people do. What is the the typical expression of that today? In the American church. It's what I tell you not to call me. The. I am a pastor. It just pastor is shepherd. I am one of them. That's okay. But I'm not the. As though there's only one, there is the guy, or as uh, one tradition very, very strongly emphasized, God's man in that church. That is dangerous beyond expression and, and yet it is still in America the dominant view of church leadership uh, and it comes both from the Roman church, which developed that over the centuries after the New Testament, um, not just the Roman church, it was actually originally developed as a uh, response to persecution you know, if we can streamline leadership, then we have less chance of getting caught and killed. Um, And then in America, it fits so well with the American business model, the CEO. But that did not happen in the New Testament time. So partly, and, and as you started off, the word itself absolutely means messenger. But messenger can be all sorts of things. So messenger can be a human. messenger can be um, a divine, not divine, spiritual creature who appears human. In the Old Testament, this happened numerous times where angels appeared and people thought they were human and then found out later that they were not. And a messenger can be a spiritual creature who doesn't even come close to appearing human. Witness how many times when they appear in the scripture, everybody hits the dirt. Because whatever they look like, it's terrifying. Okay, So the word angel had to do with a function, not a type of creature. So there's numerous creatures apparently who can be that. Um, so, And by the way, when you do this kind of a study, you will find all of that and a lot more. So in, in understanding this, we have to think through, okay, which of these makes the most sense? Which of these is consistent with what we know of Scripture and of the church at that time? So what else did, did you guys find in terms of this angel? Oh, we're still answering that question. Yeah, because I don't think we've gotten there yet. I'm waiting for the answer. <laughs> well, I'm asking you what you got because you guys well, studied I, it. I um possibly although once again the idea of it it could be a church leader but it seems to be singling out some the church leader if that's what it is and that's that was foreign to the church of this time see it's so obvious to us because we think in terms of that one person they didn't In the synagogue. Well, you just described several different people actually. Um, in, the, in the synagogues, uh-huh. remember that the big, big difference from Jerusalem, where the temple was, uh-huh. and the synagogues. Because the synagogues were an invention for those who were nowhere near uh-huh. the temple. And, probably read and weren't that educated. Um, actually, very well educated okay. most of the time because they had usually a copy. Of the Torah, the, people in the, yeah. to the, the The synagogues would have a copy of the Torah okay. if they could afford it. Okay. I mean it kind of depended on that because they were expensive because remember, all of this is hand copied. Um, you know, they would have a very plain one or they would have a very ornate one, it had to do with wealth. But they the, the tradition that is still true today, if you convert to Judaism in a conservative branch, right. saying Judaism is like saying, uh, Christianity almost, in terms of, there's a whole lot of different types of people that call themselves that. Um, there's, there's people who call themselves Jews today that don't even believe in God. There's a very large number of atheistic Jews. They wouldn't be care, but the more conservative ones, certainly Orthodox, Hasidim. First thing you do is learn Hebrew. Because all of this stuff we're doing and translating, forget that. That ain't going to happen. They want you to learn the language itself, um, and that's that had roots long, long back. So if they had the ability to do that, meaning a rabbi, okay. then he would do that. He would teach them, and a rabbi was common if you had ten families, because what they would do is the ten families would tithe. Um, and the rabbi, by the way, being one of the 10, would tithe to the synagogue. The tithe biblically went to the temple, but they're nowhere near the temple. They would tithe to the synagogue, and then that 10th of their total would go towards the upkeep of the synagogue with a 10th of that, Uh, no, uh, that 10th would be the rabbi's, and then his tithe would be the upkeep of the synagogue. And that was, it was a very simple system they, they devised so that you could have a rabbi even in a very small synagogue. Now, the larger synagogues would have more than one rabbi because there's more than one person. Okay? But there would also be readers. And um, over time, I don't know that the Cantor as we know it today actually existed then but there were people doing similar things so it wasn't like one person did everything and everybody else sat back um, even even in the time of the t- temple there were the precursors of the cantors who would chant the psalms or sing the psalms or in some cases lead in antip- antiphonal reading uh, um, something in response call and response um, so Depending on the synagogue, depending on the size, there could have been a lot of people involved. What they did have, by the way, was a tradition of the guardian angel. Now, you'd be hard-pressed hard to find a good theology of a guardian angel in the New Testament or the Old Testament. So there's, there's mentions of angels, and then there's, see, that's what the guardian angel is. There are those who believe every human being has a guardian angel. I find that absolutely unsupportable in Scripture. It may be true but it's not supportable in scripture. So if it's true then okay, you lucky guess, right? So along with that tradition, many of the Jews believed every synagogue had a guardian angel. So it wasn't just the the person, but it it would get, you know, with with bigger, so the person, family, synagogue and that because the base in almost all of these places was the Jews in the synagogue who responded to the gospel, then formed the base of the church. Right. So the, there's a belief that this was referring to that tradition which isn't, kind of followed in it. Daniel where like, there's something about how like, the angel came from a specific place that he was the guardian of, and so they kind of have developed this theology that there's angels that guard over a place, necessi- not necessarily a church, but some kind of grouping. Yeah, there, there is a, um, an account of an angel having to travel. Yeah. Um, I, if, if memory serves, I do not believe it, there was anything in that that suggested the angel actually resided there or had any particular permanent role there. But there is no question that that's where a lot of people get this concept because they read that into it. But if you read it, you'll find almost nothing is actually said. Uh, In fact, if you want to write a biblical book on angels, it's going to be about that big. Because literally, there's very little actually said. So when you get uh, even somebody like Billy Graham, who writes this bestseller on angels, 90% of that's fiction. He made it up. Now, I'm sure he believes it, and that it's based in... Just as, you know, the guardian angel might be based in the idea that maybe they were actually stationed yeah, there. He mm-hmm. Well, th- he was fighting Satan. Yeah. But in that, in that context. But again, we've got to be very careful because the scriptures tell us that we've got what we need to be taught. So we have this nasty habit of <coughs> not necessarily studying what we've got. But then spending a whole lot of time building systems of theology over what the Bible doesn't say. <coughs> Same with demons, by the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, not the of the- I didn't say that. I'm simply saying there's no biblical support for the concept. <coughs> so, see, it's a lot easier to say what's there in the scripture than this meant that. Because as someone else pointed out, it doesn't actually say that. So. Hmm? It's his favorite answer to all questions. the number one Yeah, I can give you four or five good options, but I don't know. Yeah. My suspicion is that it has something to do because it's apocalyptic literature. You've got to remember that. This is an explicitly Jewish literary form. So it relied on Jewish imagery and Jewish tradition. So I suspect it's something along the line of the guardian angel thing. That fits best. Not a human. What? Like an angel, angel, not a human. A, a spiritual being, for want of a better term. That's probably not a very accurate way, and someday we will all laugh at that term, probably. But for now, yeah. It says by his messenger. Yeah, It doesn't actually say by his angel. Angel is the Greek word. That we, is when it's spelled angel, it's simply not translated. So if we actually translate it, it's by his messenger. So then we're back to, okay, so what does that mean? Well, let's see. We have all of these different possibilities. So, it, it is a good exercise to go through this for no other reason than to train us for, on something that, let's be real, doesn't really in the long run matter. No one's salvation rides on whether they figure out what the angel actually refers to. So good, uh, you know, we're not at risk here, but it gives us the opportunity to do this process and think through biblically what makes sense from what we know of the letter, from what we know of the history of the time, from what we know of the biblical teaching that's already given to us, what works, as opposed to, well, this is what we think today, and we read it back into, and then find out there's all sorts of reasons why that can't be. And that's a very, very common thing that we do. Now, when you start doing that for something that does have a lot to do with how we live, and even our salvation, that gets serious. So, uh, what we just did was not a waste. But yes, for those of you who are just a wee bit cynical, this is indeed my favorite answer. In the end, I don't know. You know, we will uh, we will find out. Maybe. Yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> and, and, nothing, it also says that uh, uh, exactly the office of the synagogue among the Jews called Shiloh. S-H-E-L-I-C-H-T-S-I-B-B-U-R? Have you heard that? Um, I have not, and Hebrew is harder to pronounce than Greek, so yeah. good luck with that. Okay, i just... Yeah, um, and once again, what they're doing is saying, okay, we, we believe this about the synagogue. Well, all right, which synagogue would that be? Because the synagogue in a place like Ephesus would be different than a synagogue in a place that is poorer. Because we know there was a very strong concentration of Jews in Ephesus. So I mean there could even be a a fairly wealthy powerful city that just simply didn't have as many people that were Jewish. And that synagogue would tend to be much more poor and have far fewer people in it, including those roles. So we're back to we just we don't really know but like i said i think it's a very very valuable process because then you get used to that process and you apply that process to things that we do know from scripture and that make a much bigger difference and we're far less likely to be misled make sense okay it sounds like though he's trying to send a message one way or the other right so so back to messenger Well, the message is, this message is coming, remember, through John. Right. John becomes the, the angelos, mm-hmm. okay. the angel. Although I don't it's think he ever Ephesus, refers to himself okay. in that way. So Ephesus is going to get what he's being... And, the, and by the way, Ephesus did get this. Revelation. The, the document itself okay. went out. Okay. It was what is called an encyclical. I mean, you okay. just listen to the word, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Sickle, cycle. So it was a docu- document that was intended to be passed around. Right. And so it went out. It would have taken months, years, to make the journey to all these different places. And not to mention all the ones, Colossae, for example, is right smack in the middle of this very area that we're talking about, but isn't one of the seven churches listed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guarantee you they didn't say, no, nope, you're not in it, so you don't get to read this. So you know it it did in those those days it took a long time to get it out but as soon as it went out then they had other things they were much more used to the scribal function so you guys get something I guarantee you you do not sit down with a pen and paper and start copying it but they would if it was if it was at all possible to do and so very quickly you would have had numerous copies it is extremely unlikely that more than one went out from John. Because the Romans were not all that accommodating. They would, you know, John's going to send seven copies of the same thing out. They're going to start getting suspicious. And remember, they're, they're, he's there under their watch to keep a lid on things. But one thing, one letter going out. Especially when it tells yeah, they read it, they laugh at them, and they send it out. And yet we're we're on the list. All right. So we made it, by the way, um, roughly 25 percent through the first verse. (laughs) We're We're moving. It's a juggernaut. Juggernaut to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Right. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this colon colon's not there, you know. But, wait a minute, um, what about those sevens? <laughs> now, we are indeed told what the stars and the lampstands represent. So to start with, generically, it's pretty simple. So what was that, and where'd you get it? Stars and the messengers. Stars of the angels. Are the angels. Well, messengers actually, really, it's more accurate. Okay. And what? The, the, the lamp stands, Yeah, the lampstands were the churches. So the one who walks among you. So here's an image of the Lord who has said to them, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of this age. They've heard that over and over and over probably. And John, by the way, definitely heard it so here's a message going out he is with us he's in our midst he sees everything he hears everything he is with us all the time which makes these letters a lot more meaningful than if you know I heard something that I want to address okay so the the one who is with you the one who's walking among you um, now, someone asked, again, about, the, the lampstands is just quite simple. It is the church. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the church? That was one of the questions, too. What is, it, what is the word translated church? Oh, yeah. What? Just... Okay. The, well, you just gave me the translation of the word. Ecclesia. The word is ekklesia, Ecclesia. which ek out. Klecia is the noun form of the verb kaleo. Hear it? Kaleo. It's where we get the English word call. So called out. So the Gospel goes and and there's different theologies of this. If you're staunchly Calvinistic and I know very few Calvinists who are Calvinistic interestingly (laughs) enough, then you believe that um, the gospel went out only to a select group of people. Everybody else may have heard it, but it wasn't really for them because the elect, which, by the way, comes from ekklesia. I mean, it's all from that same word. The elect are the ones who are called out and God chose those before the foundation of time. You're either in or you're out. doesn't matter. You're a horrible, terrible reprobate, but you're in because God said so and you're a wonderful faithful person who follows Jesus with all your heart, tough, you're out because God didn't choose you. And that, is, that is classic Calvinism and it's nonsense and I don't know any Calvinists that actually believes that. And I know many Calvinists, albeit not me. Um, and no, I'm not the other-ism either. I reject isms in that sense. So the ecclesia are those when the gospel went out and called people out of the world who responded and came out. Um, The word is also frequently translated assembly for the simple reason that when they came out, they came together. And that's where we get it generally referring to the church because they then came together as they came out. So I believe in most English translations, that is the only word translated church. Does anybody know of another word translated church? The study Kyriakos? There was a statement of the English word church comes from the Greek word Kyriakos, belonging to the Lord Well the English word church, yes, but we're talking about the Greek word ekklesia which is simply translated by the word, you're just getting an etymology of the English word church, which, kirka, and so you see Mm -hmm. "kyrios." "Kyrios" is Lord. So the ones who belong to the Lord are the ones who came out. But you won't see "kyriakos" in the New Testament. That word does not come up. I suspect they might have used it in that era, but they didn't in the New Testament. Okay, so we've got the lamb stand, which is the church, mm-hmm. and we've got the star. Star, the stars, star? which are the angels, mm-hmm. and we've already discussed the angels, mm-hmm. ad nauseum, and still came up with yeah, I don't know. Um, so, but it's written to them, right? And the one who's walking among them says, "I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance." What's the word perseverance mean? Anybody catch that? Anybody get it? Toil to trouble. No, the Greek word, please. Copos? What? I got copos. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, 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 I see where you're going. Yeah, the, the there's toil and perseverance. Copos is toil. Where it's in there. But yeah, perseverance is hypomone. And it literally means live under. Hypo, hypo, hypodermic, goes under the skin. It's it's just the prefix hypo. Moné from the verb meno. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us, lived among us. menno. The old English, um, I am the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. menno. Live. Okay, not just visit, not just drop by. Live. So the word means live under. And then under what? Well, if it's perseverance, if it's patience, it means under something that's not easy to live under. And we've just talked about toil. And so you're, you're living under harsh circumstances. Same word, by the way, translated in the fruit of the Spirit, patience. And about 50% of the time, I think, in the New Testament, well, it depends on the translation, but about 50% of the time it's going to be translated patience. Okay, so, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they're not and you've found them to be false. So a couple of things by the way this is a long sentence so I'm breaking it up by verse Um, you cannot tolerate evil men and in the study guide I sort of camped out on that just a wee bit why did I do that you suppose tolerate How many of you like that word? It's one of the highest values of our culture today. Tolerance. Tolerance. If you tolerate me, what does it mean? You You put up with me. Mm -hmm. Am I supposed to be happy with that? Do I not look at you and say, well, who do you think you are (laughs) putting up with me? And yet, that's, that's this high value and we're supposed to tolerate for example somebody whose behavior we believe to be sin declared by God to be wrong but we're supposed to tolerate it not just put up with because clearly in our society tolerate means something more we're supposed to embrace it, and if we don't then we're intolerant I'll own that one, by the way, because he's condemning a whole church for being tolerant of certain things. So I'm pretty sure I want to be on the intolerant side of that, right? But I'm also hateful, and oh, by the way, I'm phobic. The word phobic means, in English, it comes from phobos, and it means an irrational fear. So if I don't agree with this and don't accept it and, and celebrate it and think it's good, then I'm hateful and I automatically have an irrational fear of it. And I think that, I mean, it is obviously irrational to say that. Okay? I believe that people who commit sexual sin, pick one. We have a very creative culture. There's a lot of them out there. I believe those people are sinning. Now, by the way, how am I to treat the people biblically? With love. With love. There is nothing anywhere in the scripture, including here, that freezes us of that basic mandate. No matter how we feel, because love, agape, has nothing to do with how we feel. Jesus died for these people. so How in the world can I say I'm Christian if I then think I don't need to love them? But loving does not mean I agree with or even accept their behavior. I don't. How many of you think adulterers are great people? They should just be celebrated. We should have adultery pride week. (laughs) It's stupid, right? We would never do that. But we've done that, obviously, with some other things. And it started off with homosexuality. It has worked its way now to other things that are literally fantasy. But now we're expected to accept them as reality. Um, In the Bible, that is one of the only places you're going to see the word tolerance. In fact, it may be the only place. And it's definitely not a good thing. Now let's be clear. I'm going to say it one more time because I'm already labeled a hater and So just for the record, you do not get to hate people. Period. Ever. And say you're Christian. You just don't get to do it. But our task then is to not tolerate them while loving them. And if anybody thinks that's difficult... Good, you're paying attention. I mean, that's why it's an issue, right? If I've got somebody who comes to this congregation and I find out that this nice couple sitting here looking all sorts of wonderful as they worship is a guy who's leaving his wife for his girlfriend. I've run into that numerous times. This is not made up. Am I to hate them? No. Am I to love them? Am I to tolerate their behavior? All right. Now what I've got to figure out is, what does that look like? Well, yeah. First question is, are they Christian or are they not Christian? Um, So that's going to tell me what that intolerance looks like. But it's still going to be an intolerance. Somewhere along the line, I need to be able to express if I'm going to actually have a relationship with that person. Look, I care about you. I love you. Enough to say something kind of awkward, and that is, you're harming yourselves right now. You're sinning. We're not going to support it. You need to go back to your wife. And you need to stay away from the husbands of other women. And let's talk about what's going on in your life if you say you believe in Jesus that would cause you to ignore your Lord and lead you into this. And that, by the way, is the one approach I have found that lets me sometimes into their life. And I say sometimes. Um, I suspect it's been about 50% over the years. haven't actually sat down and (laughs) logged it out. But many times when I say to them, look, I I get, I'm not judging you. I'm no better than you are. I know that. But when you tell me Jesus is Lord, but then you do something he explicitly says is wrong, then I got to figure something is wrong in your life. Something's hurting. Something's driving you to that. And I don't understand what it is. So can you help me? you even know and I've had some amazing discussions with people and that's the only way I've been able to find to love and not tolerate at the same time it's a personal thing okay when somebody won't let me be personal it's it's almost impossible for me to truly show them that I love them because they're basically saying I want anything to do with you stay away from me I have a standing invitation i put it out on facebook through my blogs through people through sermons uh, for anybody living in the uh, acrostic lifestyle help me understand how to love you better in your mind i'll sit down i'll buy you lunch i'll talk to you anytime i would love to have this conversation help me understand how i can love you better without agreeing because if you start off with i have to agree with you or i hate you it's a non-starter. Does that make sense? And I think it's gonna be the same thing here. And it's a challenge to us today, and it's part of the American thing by the way, because clearly this is where we are too. Because church after church after church, and church leader after church leader after church leader, and particularly the biggest ones. I've been in in churches like that, I've served a church like that, and I guarantee you there are forces influencing people that are not simply the gospel. And they're very, very simple and very easy to understand. And they're very destructive. And over and over coming out with, you know, we have to accept this. We have to tolerate this. We have to, although again, I, I, I rarely hear people saying we have to tolerate. Be tolerant. But even then, let's face it, that's just a negative word. So we need to embrace this. We need to make these people feel welcome here. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm all for that. How do I make someone feel welcome here while saying to them you're sinning? I clearly have not figured that one out because I can give you the name of hundreds of people that have left here because of things I've said, not just with that one, but with a lot of others. But I don't get to treat that different than gossip or drunkenness, or rage or theft, bitterness or any other sexual sin and that's that's another key to us if we treat the, the couple who comes in and are cohabiting together different when we find out that's what's going on then we treat a homosexual couple we're sinning. we're saying no I've got my own taxonomy of sin I'm not going to use the scriptural one and we're blowing it In fact, in the New Testament, the the concept of a homosexual person is unknown. Right. It's simply the sexual act. Yes. Just like there's a list of several sexual acts that are unacceptable. Yes. Which again has nothing to do with the people. Well, it's the the people who are doing the acts are sinning because they're doing something unacceptable to God. And therefore, they're condemned and therefore, they need salvation. Which, by the way, is exactly the boat everyone else is in. Except when somebody is robbing banks, we usually feel pretty free to point out that's a bad thing. When somebody is a rageaholic and is getting into fights all the time, we feel pretty free to point out that's not good. You need to stop that. You need to repent. And we'll use that word, repent. But then when we use it for somebody in this sense for, for a number of reasons. Reasons, by the way, that are about to implode because people from within that movement are beginning to disagree with the uh, pseudoscience. And it's, it's a fascinating thing sociologically. But the bottom line is we're not called to understand it sociologically. We're called to be faithful. So we've got to be careful because unless things have changed, um, this is not a good thing. Okay. By the way, um, they also said, put to the test those who call themselves apostles. I asked you, if uh, did anybody get why that's significant? What's what's the strange thing about that phrase? Anybody pick up on it? Well, if you put them to the test, you know, then if they fail the test, then they're probably false teachers and leading people astray. Right, which is exactly the case. Yeah. But... But who does that? What is the Greek word for put to test? Okay Piorazzo, today. So um, what is the word that typically is translating Piorazzo? One word that we usually use to translate it. Did you get that? Trial Mm -hmm. attempt. That's the one. See, trial, test, they're neutral. Pretty much every time the word tempt is seen in an English translation, it's that word. Because that word had the, the added meaning. It was definitely a test. But it had the added meaning of setting someone up to fail. This is what Satan does. And this is what James says God never does. He doesn't tempt people. So when people think God's setting them up, trying to test them wrong God may be purifying you but God doesn't try to trip you up okay and yet these people are praised for doing it you might figure out what that's about i assume it's it's to weed out the weakness, their weaknesses which is a good thing what was the weakness whatever they're testing and in, in, in this Because this is, to my knowledge, this is the only place this is done or said. Yeah, it was false teachers. So these are people who are known to be false teachers and they were tested in some way. We're not told how. I suspect it was set them up to, you know, what's the truth about this or this? And they contradicted what God had already told them and therefore were known as false teachers. And that's the good result. It's, they already knew who they were. It wasn't trying to tempt them to become false teachers. They already were false teachers. So this is the test that they can't pass. And in not passing, they show themselves to be the false teachers. And now the sheep, there, so to speak, are aware that they are wolves. So people are warned about them. It really is a, a very strange construct. And it's, I believe, and every time I say that, obviously I have not memorized the entire Greek Testament. okay? But I believe it's the only time that happens with that word. And, it, and it's very, very clear because there is no question. They're already false teachers and already known to be that. So they're now being shown to the body to be that. And they get praised for this. This is the good stuff. Right. They're not tolerating, and they're they're called evil men. Yeah. Okay. He goes on and says, and they, they call themselves apostles. They're not, and you found them false. And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary perseverance you've lived under all the pressure all the whatever you've not grown weary of it you're hanging in there you've done that for my name all good he's praising them for all these things but uh uh-oh but i have this against you that you left your first love and and it is a beautiful statement and yes it's been applied in so many different ways But the primary application of it is us and God. Well, in this case, them and God. You left your first love. Now, if if, if you're with your first love, say 20 years later, and you leave her, him, either way, what do we usually call that? Divorce, adultery, yeah, may not even actually go to the divorce. Cheating, um, dis- disloyalty, unfaithfulness, stupidity. stupidity works. None of these are good <laughs> things, all right? None of these are things we value. None of these are things we honor. So th- this beautiful poetic thing is really a pretty serious condemnation. And remember this concept of of love, the the human love relationship, romantic relationship, marriage relationship between a man and a woman is a picture used throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament of our relationship with God. That makes it extraordinarily important. So when he refers to this, and he's using those human terms, but clearly referring to the Ephesians relationship with him. It's, it's pretty heavy, it's pretty serious. You've left your first love, verse 5, therefore, because of that, remember from where you've fallen. Notice he didn't say, therefore I will divorce you. When God divorces somebody, what happens? They go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of a heavy thing. They're not with him anymore. They don't have the privileges of belonging to God Himself anymore. We take that for granted. We think that's a birthright. Who's God to take that away from us? Read Hosea sometime. It's an amazing book and the whole thing's about that pattern. So, He doesn't do that. Instead, it's, it's an attempt to get them to change, to come back to Him. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent What's that mean? Change your mind. Do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. Unless you repent. I mean, he throws that in again. Unless you repent. You can change this. This is not inevitable. The, de- the destruction, the, the removal of the lampstand. What is the lampstand? It's the body there, it's the church. Because apparently this is something they were doing as a church. It wasn't, you have some people in your midst. Because that's going to be said at some other times. This is a widespread condemnation of the entire church. You've left your first love. Now, go backwards and remember the nature of this church in, say, the 60s. And and you get this intensity of commitment to the Lord. They left that. They changed that. And he says, go back, and, and there's a beautiful phrase, do the things you did at first. If you're married, I'm not going to ask you if you're in love with your, your spouse right now, particularly those of you who might happen to be sitting next to them. Um, <laughs> always a bad question to ask publicly, but I've done that, by the way, and they, you know, <laughs> it's really bad when they don't raise their hands. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I learned not to ask that. Um, (laughs) What? You're a slow study. I know, I I know. I only destroyed 40 or 50 marriages before I got there. (sighs) Um, Hey, it's called a practice for a reason. (laughs) I love being able to pull that one out. I've been married to Donna a long time. You guys heard me talk about this. Donna is my hero. I know of no human being I respect more than her. I've said that publicly. I've said it privately. I've, I've said it in line at Sears to some <laughs> clown that was women. You know, it was like, I bet your wife's like that. No, actually, she's probably the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. And he looked at me and he said, how long have you been married? I said, 42 years. He's jaw-dropped, and I loved it. (laughs) But the feeling doesn't always go with it. I just stated to you a fact. That's who she is. It's real. I can document it. But the feeling doesn't always go there. So how does the feeling come back? Their feeling had left. They didn't have their first love. The love, by the way, is agape, interestingly enough. It isn't eros. That never even appears in the New Testament. It's not even phileo. It's agape. But they still left it, they didn't feel like doing it, therefore they didn't. So what does he tell them to do? Do the things you did at first. Now I've had the privilege of watching my three kids fall in love. Walking off and shh, it's in a pit, and there they are, fell, had nothing to do with it. Bull! They dug the pit, they made sure it was deep, they made sure it was big enough, then they came and took a flying leap and went into it and I watched them do it they worked themselves crazy falling in love you know and it's a cool thing to do or to watch when you know you're this age and you're watching that age go through all those machinations and all the pain and you know you're not having to do that but what happens when you wake up in the morning and you look across the pillow and there's someone you're not in love with do the things did at first. That's not what he's teaching. He's not talking about marriage. He's talking about the relationship between the body of Christ and Christ himself. Okay, but the application works. I have fallen in and out of love with Donna more times than I can count. And the last, I don't know, probably a hundred or so have been very intentional. There's times you just don't have the energy. (laughs) You know, it doesn't mean I'm I'm hating the person. It means, you know, and I see this, I work with with somebody, she's three kids, you know, and I just don't feel the way towards my husband I used to. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) You know, I mean get real for Pete's sake, you got three kids, give me a break. But, that doesn't mean you have to hate. And then, when things Lull a little bit. Do the things you did at first. I remember what I did. I remember working like crazy to get Donna to think I was something other than what she might think. <laughs> had lots of options there, and I didn't want any of those, you know. And, and over the years, I've found there's a lot of those things that I can just do, and I do habitually now. And to be honest with you, part of the reason is because I like doing it. I like being in love. I like that feeling. And I like seeing her face when I'm doing it. And guess what? That's what he's talking about. So the human thing we can grasp, and maybe you've lived through that. Maybe you know, you've know you been married long enough to experience that. But that's the spirit the the human thing is just to point us to the spiritual reality because my relationship with Donna is more important than any relationship I've got except him and she feels the same way she made that really really clear before we ever got married and it's one of the reasons I fell in love with her it's like I don't want to be your goddess you've got a God and I don't want you treating me that way, and I don't want the pressure. One of the most mature things that 17 year old ever said to me, and wow, we can do this. Any person who who has fallen away, so to speak, and and it's not hard. We don't tell people, well, you know, if you just pray more, if you just, you know, you'll feel it, baloney. Think back when you first came to the Lord. What did you do? look at your schedule what did you do you invest, you invest your time your energy and where you do that your heart will follow. He gave them an amazing formula and then said now if you don't do that I'm gonna I'm gonna remove the whole lampstand. It's gone. Unless then he gives them again unless you repent. So he emphasizes that you can change that. Yet this you do have. Now he comes back and tells them something good again. Doesn't leave it on a bad note. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's a, an idiom that they use. which basically means listen up. Don't just, don't just let this go past. Hear it, understand it, pay attention, do it. To him who overcomes. What was that word? Anybody get the word? This is one of the fun ones. Overcomes. Did I put that one in there? No. I certainly intended to. Oh, sorry, that's next time. He says that to pretty much all of them. I'm not going to tell you then, because that's next time. I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Paradise, by the way, is Forest Park in in Portland. It is. The word paradise means forest or park. So, Forest Park, it's got to be, right? It's the forest. It's the, it's, it, and I am not a runner, but boy, it turned me into an ultra marathon runner because it's so beautiful. And that's what paradise means. It's not just happiness, streets of gold. Streets of gold, can you imagine what it feels like to walk on that? That hurts, yeah. No, 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 no. This is beautiful. Okay, Nicolaitans, let's see. Um, we've already talked a lot about the application, I think, but we'll come back to that over and over. The Nicolaitans, did anybody get anything about them? They're actually, it's kind of like they're believers who have decided that they can sin time. Right? Okay, they're, they're definitely people who consider themselves believers at least. Right. Mm-hmm. And they definitely seemed to approve of sin. Now, remember at this time, the Gnostic heresy was full-blown. And one of the the tenets of Gnosticism was uh, basic Greek dualism. Spirit and flesh, or the world of the spirit, the world of material, have nothing to do with each other. And that formed two different things. One was asceticism. So the world then tends to overshadow the spirit, and we can't have that, so we'll beat it back. And that's where you get the people beating themselves and what we just read in Colossae, for the Colossians do not touch, do not taste, you know, all of, all of these prohibitions of trying to beat down the flesh, mortify the flesh to raise the spirit. Paul says nonsense, doesn't work. But the opposite of that was, well, if the spirit and the flesh have nothing to do with each other, the flesh can do anything that plain will pleases. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the spirit. And if my relationship with God, because God is spirit, is spiritual, then whatever the flesh does has nothing to do with that. And I can do anything I want. This is very popular teaching today. Now we're back to the, the application of American, faith because I mean nobody's calling it gnosticism or even Greek dualism, but they're still doing it. By the way, for those of you who are academically inclined, the term is antinomianism, which basically means outlaw, <laughs> against the law. There can be no law. The law is about the flesh. Law doesn't matter. Hebrew law, Greek law, doesn't matter. It's flesh. Spirit matters. Flesh can do anything it wants. Okay? Now, where do we get that? Remember all those resources we talked about? One of them was, use a concordance. If you use a concordance, you're going to find one other place that this word appears and we're gonna hit it in two weeks it's in chapter 2 in the 14th 15th verses where it says that um, the, the the Nicolaitans are condoning sin they are repeating I'm trying to remember the exact phrase we will hit it then the uh, teaching of Balaam and the tradition was that Balaam was was allowing any kind of sin but it definitely included sexual immorality and that's the one that got emphasized the most perhaps because there's others who are going to be singled out other uh, either individuals or symbols of individuals in these letters because again the antinomianism tended to express itself in all sorts of interesting ways but sexual immorality was one of the big ones the Greeks were extraordinarily creative in this way i mean they were the american culture's forefather in the sense of the creative sin with sex Um, the romans by the way were not exactly second rate in that either Um, and so all the gentiles around them are doing this and the nicolaitans said it's okay and forgive me for being too pointed, but we need to embrace them and include them and tolerate them. That's exactly what the Nicolaitans did. And Jesus says, now he's back, because remember when he said tolerant, they were not tolerating the false teachers, and Jesus praised him for it. Now he comes back and says, but I've got this, you don't, Tolerate the the Nicolaitans. It's not the word he used. But you you do not accept the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So, all right, you're doing some good things. You haven't fallen off the edge yet. But you need to come back to your first love. It's not enough for us as Americans in the American church, as Christians, hopefully, in the American church, to not tolerate sin. Even if we if we do it in a loving way, if we've left our first love. If I love you, that's great. But what about my devotion to Jesus? <laughs> you know, by the way, if I love you and I'm not devoted to Jesus, then hang on, because I'll hate you pretty soon. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's going to come with my emotions and my moods. Yep. You know? The reason why someone as immature as Don and I hang on that long is because Jesus said to. It's the only reason we can both tell you the very moment we decided not to leave each other in divorce and it had nothing to do with each other we didn't like each other it was because Jesus said don't do that so okay I guess we're stuck that was, that's a quote 1974. I guess we're stuck. Okay, happily married now. 41 and a half years. Right. Not bad for 43. You know, <laughs> it's a good percentage. Okay, you had a question. I do. Um, is is I, I haven't read the rest of the book, so maybe I'm I don't know. I'm jumping ahead, but is he going to go into the reason why he thinks the he the people? Or don't love God. Like. No, he walks among them, remember? Okay. So he's, he's telling them, I see this. Now, there's all sorts of historical stuff debating on exactly what is, was he referring to. Um, and it comes back to we don't really know. You know We can see things that may have indicated that, but he doesn't say, on the other hand, what we don't have any historical reference to, is the people in Ephesus circa 98 to 100 A.D. being blown away because how in the world could he say that about us? Uh, That apparently didn't happen. They got the letter and they responded because, yeah, he's walking among them, he knows. So for us it's not so much about the Ephesians, it's about, okay, what about us? Could he say that about us? Have we done all sorts of good things, stood up for the right teachings, but left our first love? Because if we have, what's the point? It's about Him, it's not about all those other things. Um, I had a professor who used to say, and I, I didn't like him saying it because I liked everybody to be correct, but he said, you know, you can be wrong about a lot of things as long as you're right about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I think that absolutely nailed it. Does that make sense? Okay. Thank you folks. Next week we get to visit the metropolis of Smyrna. Is it Smyrna or Smyrna? What's the answer? What's the answer? What? You don't know, that's the answer, I don't know. Okay, hold on a minute. I am now disconnecting the recorder, turning it off.